0: And welcome back to another episode of The Geek Whispers. I'm John Mark
1: Troyer. I'm Amy Lewis. And I'm Matt Brender.
0: And our topic today, performance reviews. Oh, yeah. You like performance reviews. It's um, summertime. I don't know. When do performance reviews usually are done by now? But if your company's particularly slow, you might still be working on them. We have a really nice special guest, an old friend of mine with the podcast this week, Srinivas Krishnamurti. Srinivas, welcome to the show. Thank you, John. Well, Srinivas actually is CEO of a company called Zugata, which actually works with performance reviews. We'll get to that point, and this is not a commercial. Instead, we want to talk about performance reviews, how they are used in the modern workplace or misused in the modern workplace, and is there a better way. So, Srinivas, you and I go way back. You were one of the first people I worked with at VMware, so
2: it's been a long journey. Well, that explains a lot of, um, you know, how you turned out, I suppose, at VMware.
3: <laughs> <laughs> well played. Sorry, bud. I like this guest already. <laughs>
0: You and I had very interesting careers at VMware, but not maybe the usual ones. When I first got there, you I think you were working on Workstation and, and I don't know Fusion wasn't even born yet. We worked on the virtual appliance marketplace together, Yep, which was amazing in just 10 years before its time, looking at Docker Hub and things like that these days. Yep. Tell me some of the other projects you worked on at VMware. You were given the future-looking hard projects at VMware, if I had to characterize it.
2: Yeah, I've been actually quite fortunate. I worked at VMware for almost 10 years from 2003 to 2013 and got a lot of awesome opportunities to work on some uh, cool projects. So Obviously, I came in as a product manager for Workstation. I was a product manager for VMware Ace, which also ended up being a little bit ahead of its time, and then uh, did our virtual appliance uh, marketplace and also VMTN, which was a technology network that we had launched. So I think that was probably the context in which you and I started working together. And then um, after that, I uh, ran all our developer products and uh, ran a Linux strategy for the company for a little bit. And the last thing that I did was started up our mobile group. A lot of the efforts that we did in, in mobile around MDM and virtualizing Android, all that came out of my team.
0: It was so cool. We've gone to Barcelona a few times for VMworld. If you went to, had to go to Mobile World Congress, every year it's at Barcelona, and it's even bigger than VMworld. At this point, are you
2: tired of Barcelona? Dude, Barcelona is one of my favorite times. I don't think you can ever get tired of <laughs> Barcelona.
3: Yeah, I know. I'm right with you. There's endless things to eat. There's endless things. It's different every time. When people complain about being tired of Barcelona, I'm like, you're insane. first world problems.
1: Yeah, there's a cure for travel, and it's called cured meats. No, I, I...
3: Probably
2: been to Barcelona about 15 times, and I don't think I've ever gotten a bad meal in Barcelona, ever. <laughs> cool. Well, um, we'll take that under advisement. Last
0: time I had a bad, ex- I didn't have a bad meal, but I guess I, I, I was working too hard or something. I'll give it a second chance. If we do want to talk about performance evaluations here on this episode, I think we're going to actually give them a pretty hard time. I don't know. Amy, Matt, are you a pro performance evaluation or anti?
3: if i have to choose between a performance evaluation either receiving or giving one and dental work i'm pretty much going root canal (laughs) i would actually prefer a colonoscopy
2: over performance reviews
1: i think they're they're tightly correlated in emotion um (laughs) (laughs) in my opinion like john i think of them like other necessities that i don't like but i know are good for me in the grand scheme of things, like uh, taxes and voting in the democracy we call America. Like, They're not the most effective strategies. I could think of better ones. But if I don't participate, I don't get a vote. I think of it in that context, and uh, it it pushes me through the process.
2: (laughs) It's uh, you just grin and bear it, basically. Yeah. And I think uh, from my perspective, I think doing performance reviews and doing expense reports are probably the least favorite things that I have to do as an
3: employee. (laughs) That just like sent shivers down my spine. I'm trying to figure out though, how'd we get here?
1: how did we get to the point where taking a, a look at your history and seeing how you can improve, how did that get so bad?
3: I love that because that's such a, a Matt Brenner question. But I think for so often you hear this old gem passed around that if, you, if you're doing it right, then there should be no surprise come review time. And it's often six months or a year it is so long into a process that what I did at the beginning of the year is a faint memory.
0: And the goals I set up at the beginning of the year are, are basically a fairy tale at that point, too.
3: The whole thing is so time-stamped and unrealistic. And, and the idea that you're doing it wrong if you're not in total agreement with whoever's reviewing you at that time. that you should either know if you're really out of sync because of a few things. And again, I've been through this at lots of different companies. It can be done humanely, so I don't think it's hopeless. It's certainly not my favorite process. I would rather just have ongoing mentoring conversations and never call it a performance review. But on the flip side, whenever it's done like you're in some sort of a a cattle processing plant, you're just kind of shipped along and prodded. And it doesn't matter what you said at the beginning or what you said at the end, you're going to get a B on your report card. It does not matter. Or in this analogy, stamped on your ass. It does not matter.
2: And, and I think just to add to that, right, they'll give you a B, and then they'll try to convince you that B is the best thing that ever could happen to you.
1: Or like, you were aiming for that C, weren't you?
2: Oh my god. <laughs> it's like Srinivas is inside my head. Yes, that's
0: exactly what happens. You didn't really want that A. And, you know, A, we don't really give out A's
2: anymore. Yeah,
1: exactly.
0: Yeah, and then that's not even counting stack ranking and all that sort of stuff that goes on at at certain companies. It certainly seems to be poisonous at this point. So, guys, I will give you my strategy about how I did performance reviews at VMware. And I, I never have told anybody this before. So this is the first time. This is a hot tip. This is my strategy. I'm giving it to you. Frankly, you can turn off the podcast after this because this is all you need to know. Oh, okay, John. Yeah, yeah. I view performance evaluations as an adversarial process. It's the company trying to screw me and me trying to screw the company back. <laughs> this is how I view it. So That's pretty screwed funny, up, John. <laughs> <laughs> well, the funny thing is this is me, right? I'm the most non-adversarial pacifist person you could meet. But this is the one thing I feel super strongly about. The performance evaluations are usually in two pieces, at least the ones I've usually done. There's a self-evaluation, usually a form you fill out, you know, one to five on in certain areas and you write your achievements and you say how well you did your goals. And then the bo- your boss goes in and they do their evaluation. And of course, they, quote unquote, take into account what your input into it and what you thought you did. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they're two things, but they never seem to be really connected. It's not like it's mathematically connected or anything like that. So my strategy for performance evaluations is I go in, I mark everything as if it's one to five where five is the best, I mark everything as fives. Because you're asking me how I thought I did this year. And I'm telling you, I thought I did the best I effing could. Yeah, I did the best I could. Screw you for asking me to uh, tell you what I thought I did wrong. And then, like a boss, so then, and then you fill out, bo- we usually we use software, so we had boilerplate. So you just, I clicked on boilerplate, click, 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 click. Fast as you can. Like, do not do anything else. Then, like a boss, print it out. Go into your boss's office and stare him in the eye. Put it on their desk and go, that's my self-evaluation. I got a five. So bring it. What What? do you think I got? I was the best person here. I dare you to score me lower. See, it worked every (laughs) time. I mean, I didn't get fives every time. I always got a B too, but I felt really good about it.
2: (laughs) It's fascinating though. I mean, look, I think if you take the process away from it, right? The notion of like a manager giving you feedback, there's goodness there, right? You also need some notion of like being able to judge you and be able to give you a pay raise. There's got to be some justification for that, right? So I think if you just look at it from that perspective, it makes sense. I mean, these are things that we need to do, but how we went about doing it is just turned out to be a complete disaster over the last, you know, several decades, you know? That's been the irony of it that people just keep doing it like sheep because we've just been doing it for years and years. It's just the way it's done. Yeah, it's just the way it's done and people are frustrated and, you know, everybody hates it, but they're like, well, what else are we going to do? I mean, how else are we going to give out pay raises, you know?
1: So it really comes down to raises, like that that sort of performance review boils down to like the justification for a raise in the organization. And I'm asking that in a reasonably leading way, but I guess I'm really being a little ignorant here that I I think of it as an opportunity for self-improvement. But I guess organizationally, it really is about the money.
3: Yeah. Bless your heart because nobody wants to do self-improvement in that way. I want to do some yoga. I want to run an extra mile.
1: <laughs> do some pull-ups.
3: Yeah, exactly. Do you want to be better at facilitating meetings? Yeah, I want to do more WebEx. I'm hoping here, here's the amount of WebEx I've done and this is where I'd like to get to.
2: Yeah. It's, it's interesting though, just in, from my own experience, I, I've been at, at companies and, and, and roles where my manager showed up with a little post-it, the smallest you know, yellow post-it that they could find with a percentage, you know, written on it and said, hey, here's your performance review. This is what you're getting. You're doing great. Just keep doing what you're doing. Uh, like I've had multiple performance reviews like that, where all I got was a yellow little post-it with my salary increased percentage
1: on it. <laughs> that sucks.
3: I've had that one too, from my boss, who's incredibly British, who's like, good job this year, Amy. Let's go on to the next thing. I'm like, that was, that was pretty simple. Or they give you, they tell you
0: you're great, just keep doing what you're doing, but you're not getting a promotion. And you're like, well, why not? But you're great, you're doing what you're doing, you're doing great. Well, but why? You know, so you're that, a great it seems drone. Disconnected.
2: <laughs> but they won't tell you what you could be done differently or better. In that case, it's hard, right? I mean, it's hard to give constructive feedback, and there's no incentive for the manager to like be honest with you. It's just the whole process is kind of messed up. And I think the other the reason what I had found out from talking to a bunch of people is. They also want to have documentation in case something goes wrong. Some amount of documentation that your manager said that you're actually not a high performer. You know, one of the things that HR folks worry about is like, hey, what if we get sued? What kind of documentation do we have? And so this notion of forcing everybody to, like, you know, write performance reviews is one way to protect themselves, right? Is in case you get a poor rating, in case you get fired, and in case you sue the company, they have some amount of documentation to prove that this was based on, you know, uh, your performance and not on other things, right? So the whole notion of compliance and having documentation is also another reason why companies force you to, like, document all this stuff, too, you know?
0: So, Serena Vas, you're the CEO of Zugada. You guys work with this as a service. And was there a a reason or a moment why you got into this business? You were at VMware. You were working on very high-tech stuff, very, you know, mobile and uh, marketplaces and all this sort of stuff that's super trendy in Silicon Valley speak. Why did you pick HR and performance evaluations? A
2: couple of things, John. One of the things that I realized when I was at VMware is that I would log into our HR system exactly once a year, and that is to do annual performance reviews, right? <laughs> Other than that, I never touched our HR system. And the aha moment for me was when I realized that all the HR software that's out there in, in the market, just broadly speaking is really built more for HR people to help them be compliant and to have a good system of record, right? That's really what these products are optimized for. And consequently, people like me, when, you know, we don't want to log into them, we don't want to use them because it doesn't really help me be a better employee or a better manager of people. There's nothing in it to help me, right? And so I would never log into it. So the idea for me was when I was working mobile, you know, we saw this evolution where, when you left it up to the IT folks, right, we would, you know, they would buy you a corporate BlackBerry. And then when you left it up to the individuals, you went and got an iPhone. What these products are optimized for it was very different. Right? And just like we had BYOD uh, from a phone perspective, the idea is what if we actually built an HR system that really puts the employee's needs at the front and center of the universe and we build a product that actually helps employees get better. That kind of a product never existed. And so that was kind of the idea is like, hey, how do we build something to help employees get better was was really the idea and the second thing was in most companies today people are your most important asset there's nothing more important than the people who work in your company and so companies that invest in developing their people are longer term are going to be more successful than companies that don't invest in their people so we wanted to provide an employee centric system that is laser focused on helping employees develop and reach their fullest potential and we didn't just didn't see anything like that in the market. And I figured it was an awesome opportunity to go a different space.
0: I buy your argument. You got very dangerously close to a lot of buzzwords there. But I buy the spirit of what you were saying.
3: And I think it's it's one of those interesting things where it's another old saw that people whip out and say, Oh, it's people are the most important part and the most expensive part of any company. But then here's your cookie cutter review and don't rage quit. But we told you you were an A player all year, but really you got to be. And there's no money. Yeah. Can
1: we talk about that? <laughs> so if we have yeah. no reviews, <laughs> if we're not dealing with the system of reviews, what is there? What are our options here? And are there examples of company that have just rejected it? I'm blissfully ignorant on this topic, but very interested, Shreed us.
2: Yeah, it's it's been fascinating. Right? I mean, as we talked about just before, companies have been doing these you know dreaded performance reviews for decades. But the interesting thing has been in the last I'd say three to four years, some of the visionary companies you know Adobe, Juniper, GE, even right um, and IBM and all these guys have said, you know what, dude, this whole performance review stuff is just sucking the air out of our organization. And I think Adobe published something that you know they spent about eighty thousand hours each year doing performance reviews. And everybody hated it, right? There was no ROI to justify that kind of a time spent. And so they've all kind of started to ditch performance reviews and said, look, we're not going to do it, right? So I think now we're at the stage where people are starting to reject doing the way we've done it. But there's no one way in which people are rallying around, okay, if not the way we have done it, what is the right way to do it? And I think it's just we're in that interesting stage where people are trying to figure it out. And there's just a lot of different ways in which people are thinking about it. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out over the next five years. But I think the performance reviews as we know them are going to die pretty soon.
3: I have a question there. It's, again, Matt's favorite question because it speaks to his people. Do you think that millennials have had a hand (laughs) in, in driving this old gym to its death?
2: Yeah, I, I, I certainly think so. I mean, I mean, you look at, you know, even in, in, in Zugada, right? Most of the, the folks are young folks who have just come out of college. We've got a couple of kids who just graduated from uh, Carnegie Mellon and Waterloo who've just joined us, right? And these are kids who have grown up on like Facebook and everything is just so real time for them. And so when they come into the workforce and you tell them, hey, you're going to get a review in exactly 12 months and that's when you'll find out how you're doing. They're kind of scratching their heads and saying, Well, why do I have to wait that long? One year just seems so long not to get feedback. Or even six months, or even three months. They're like, Why can't I just get continuous feedback? And there's a lot of you know research that's been published that says these young folks who are coming in want much more continuous feedback than at least my generation of people in the workforce, you know? So that's that's certainly one thing. And I think the second thing also is. If you look at how the speed of business is, it's just so much faster now, right? I mean, if you think about 10, 15, 20 years ago, we would ship products like every two, three years, right? And that was like a, you know, that was pretty fast in those days. Now, like companies ship software like almost every day, every day, you're pushing out new features and new products and and the rate at which we're moving is just so much faster, and I think a lot of the people are finding out that the, some of the processes that we have have not kept up with the speed at which business is being run now.
3: Well, as long as you don't say it's an agile review process and we have to stand up while I get my review. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so, Srinivas, sort of how do you guys approach it? You said there are a lot of people are experimenting. So what's Zugada's approach? Yeah. The way we've uh, deconstructed performance reviews are there are two things that typically happen. One is there's a conversation about development, which means your manager is going to tell you, hey, here are the things that you're doing well, here are the things that you're not doing so well at, right? And here's some things I want you to work on. And then there's a compensation conversation where they tell you, hey, here's your pay raise because you're a solid B, you're going to get a solid 3%, which is more than everybody else in the company. Please don't tell anybody how big a raise you're getting, right? That's typically...
1: Exactly what's said.
2: Yeah. Those are the two things that typically happen, right? Right. And so what has happened is people have realized that when you have the development and compensation conversations at the same time, the focus ends up being more on the money, right? So like I've been in instances where I've been giving feedback to people and they're like, dude, all that is great. I know how I'm doing. Just tell me how much of a raise I'm going to get. And so at VMware, for example, and even at Google, they basically said, look, separate those conversations, separate the development conversation from the compensation conversation, Right. And when you separate them out, what we've realized is that the development conversation can't be once a year, it can't be twice a year, it has to be continuous, right? Because we want our employees to learn continuously and develop continuously. That can't be done on a schedule, but compensation can't be continuous. You can't be giving up pay raises every week, right? And so the cadences at which these conversations should happen is vastly different. And so our philosophy is look, let's focus the development conversation to be much more continuous. Let's get your feedback from the people that you're working with continuously and not just get you feedback. But what is more interesting is, what do you do once you get the feedback? How do you use that so, feedback to get better?
0: How is this instantiated? Is this like
2: Facebook after every meeting, you push like like or, or laugh or I'm so sorry? Uh, no, not quite. Um, so here's the way we do it. In, if you look at a typical performance review system, One of the things that you'd actually forgotten to mention when you were talking about performance reviews, where you talked about self-review and the manager writing review, there's something in between where the manager wants to get peer feedback, right? So they ask you, hey, give me names of three people that you work with so I can get peer feedback about you, right? And you're always going to give names of your buddies. I mean, who's going to give name of somebody who hates you, right? I mean, that's just not going to happen, right? And so that whole thing is like staged, right? So the approach that we've taken is said, look. If feedback is strictly for development purposes, then everybody that you work with should be giving you feedback because they all have a perspective in terms of what you're good at and what you're not good at. So rather than asking you for names of people that you work with, we automatically figure that out based on who you're emailing, based on who you're meeting with, based on who you're slacking with, based on who you're hip chatting with, you know, based on who's fixing the bugs that you're filing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There are all these signals that help us figure out who you work with. And so we automatically go to the right people to collect feedback about you every week.
1: That's awesome. Data
2: mining.
0: Every week. So every week I get an email that says, hey, I see you've worked with these coworkers this week. Could you give them a a tip or a rating or something like that? Yeah.
2: And and, and given that this is continuous and weekly, right, the thing that we don't want to do is bombard you with a lot of, you know, asking you to give feedback to like all the people that you work with, because that gets annoying, right? I mean, you just, you know, you don't have a day job as well. The system that we've built basically says, look, we will guarantee that you will only get one request to give feedback to somebody that you work with each week. So we're not going to bombard you with a lot of requests. So we have a big queuing algorithm in the back end that keeps track of all that. And you get just one request each week to give feedback to people. And in terms of giving feedback, we have taken a very structured approach to it. So what we do is it's a two-step process. The first step is we show you a set of skills that that person should have based on their functional role, and we ask you to mark each of those skills as either a strength or not yet a strength, right? Meaning that there's a growth opportunity there. And so you mark about seven or eight of these skills, and it's very Tinder-like, right? You swipe right if it's a strength and swipe left if it's not yet a strength. It's very easy to do. And the second part of the feedback is qualitative, right? Where we ask you to write a little bit in terms of giving them a little bit of feedback. And there too, rather than giving you open-ended questions and expecting you to like spend a lot of time, we do fill in the blanks, right? It's Mad Lib style. So we say, hey, we change these questions and we get you to write something, you know, maybe a sentence or two. And the goal for us is it should take you less than 60 seconds once a week to give feedback to somebody that you work with. And in return, somebody is going to give you feedback as well.
0: Do you find that people are pretty honest with these? I mean, it seems like if it's weekly, then it's not such a big deal. It's not like I'm telling my friend that I'm giving him the X, right? So do you find that people are honest in this feedback?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's been interesting. We keep tracking it, right? And so I think what we're seeing is it's a little bit easier for us to track the data on the skills cards, right? Because I'm swiping left or right. And that's easier for us to parse. And we're seeing about 65% of the time a skill is being marked as a strength. And 35% of the time, it's not being marked as a strength meaning that, hey, you got to work on it, right? We kind of view that as, hey, that's constructive feedback that you're getting in terms of what you're good at and what you're not good at. And certainly on the written feedback too, we're starting to see people get a little bit more comfortable with saying, hey, I didn't really like what you had done there. I wish you had done this instead. And I think that takes a little bit more courage and cultural differences as well. But we're starting to see people actually providing valuable and actionable feedback.
0: Seems like a big cultural shift. I don't know. Amy, Matt, do you think that organizations can absorb this? I mean, we're so used to the once a year kind of uh, walk through the desert method.
1: What comes to mind for me is the the one thing everyone could approach differently is the separation of events, as Srinivas mentioned, that discuss how much your pay is going to increase once a year. That's great. That's like an organizational function. But that feedback, you know, as the token millennial here, Amy, <laughs> um I do expect a lot of feedback. I expect to be able to navigate based on, you know, what's happening in in reasonably real time. It's important to me. And I like the idea of also systematically finding people that should be giving feedback. Like there's something really special to not allowing me to decide who's reviewing me, but to base it off like the work that I need to get done. So those things make sense to me culturally i 'm still as interested and skeptical as you are John like that's a big shift
3: I think breaking apart the concept of feedback from financial reward is actually kind of the interesting piece for me because I think again sorry to to do my metric smackdown, but I think in the end, you can be given all the data in the world, but most people do either the stock ranking or percentage or however they've got it. They do it by gut. they look to the information to prove what they think is already true but if we look at it purely from a remuneration standpoint, it's going to be, I think you do it based on gut. So to almost take this out and do this in this weekly basis, and sure, you could get some aggregate stuff at the end of the year, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. But in some ways, that's about who participates in the system more, how active you are in all these ways. I think you probably get more out of the system. If you put more into the system, you'll be a better developed employee in theory which in theory would make you more able to go in and sort of advocate for yourself, prove what you need to prove to get paid, et cetera. So just pointing that out as well. Those are almost, in some ways, we need to frankly break the myth and just say, stop the lies. The performance review has Zippo to do with how much more you get paid. Just deal with it.
2: One quick thing to add. One of the interesting things that we have done, and this is actually turning out to be probably more controversial in our product and and our vision is... All this feedback that we're collecting on a weekly basis on your behalf, we actually only share that with the employee. Neither the manager nor HR actually have access to that information.
1: Oh, Oh, that changes
2: things. Right? Because the way we've thought about it is, look, at the end of the day, you know, Mr. or Miss Employee, it's your career. You own it. Development is really your responsibility. It is not the company's responsibility. It is not your manager's responsibility. They're there to help you, but development is your responsibility. So we're going to give you all this feedback. We'll give you resources to help you get better at things that you're not good at, and we'll track your progress and all that stuff. All this is only shared with you. So in a sense, we're providing a safe environment in which they can actually like figure out, hey, what am I not good at? And be able to work on that without this big judgment lens that managers and HR people.
3: I think that's the most important piece, because if it's truly about getting people to improve and work to their best ability, you're right, delivering that tough love speech is not easy nor fun for anybody in either direction, but so necessary. And if it's something where people sign up for a bit of self improvement, and participate in that system, I think that is a more workable system. And like I said, separate it from the financial aspects because it can be a proof point if you so choose to, to share it. But I, I still feel like if you're an employee, sometimes you just get screwed over. Let's be honest. We've all been there. We've all been high performing people who did not get the golden ticket that year. And somebody taught me that, right? Sometimes, sometimes you win and sometimes you lose and you just have to be happy for anybody who it's their turn. It's not always your turn.
0: Yeah, I've literally been told you're not getting as big of a raise because we, I only had so much and it was so-and-so's turn this year.
3: Well, John, can I give you my pro tip since we, I feel like we sprinkle these throughout? And be careful how you repeat this. This was actually somewhat accidental, but uh, it really helps if you have a competing job offer right around review time. <laughs> <laughs> I found the year that that happy accident happened. It was a remarkably different experience.
0: So, Serena us that does bring up the point. Most people are not existing with your software right now. And in fact, we live in a world where... You change jobs more often, and your permanent record, quote unquote, unlike grade school, does not follow you to your next job. As you've been deeply thinking about personal development, as well as this corporate evaluation now for a few years, just in terms of getting ahead in personal development, what do you see high achievers, high successful people, uh, let's include happy people in there too, even though they're not necessarily the same thing. What tips would you have for people in their jobs as they're thinking about personal development?
2: You know, look, the most important thing is, and, and this is what I, I mentor a whole bunch of young folks that I interact with, and the biggest tip that I can give them is, hey, get yourself into a position where you're working on something that you're passionate about. Without that, it, nothing else matters, right? I mean, work is hard. I mean, you know, there's a lot of politics that you have to put up with, a lot of processes that you have to put up with, and that in itself is wicked hard. And if you have to do that while you're working on something that you're not passionate about, you're just not going to be successful, you know? So more than anything else, just find yourself something that you're passionate about, because nothing else would matter anyway.
0: That is true, I think, right? We hear that from a lot of folks. You got to find the piece of the job that gets you. Uh, Maybe it's not your passion in life, or maybe it's not all passionate, but you got to find the piece that you can really get your teeth into and excel at. I think it kind of all comes down to that.
1: And our guess over and over again, it's that excitement causes... Productivity, like it causes great results. Like if you're into what you're doing, you end up creating a situation where your performance review has to be better because you are excellent at what you're doing, because you care. It's a very self-fulfilling prophecy that way.
2: Yeah, it, it sounds so simple, but I think that's what it is, right? I mean, if if you're passionate about something, you will go the extra mile because you're actually having fun, right? I mean, and that's the thing. And I think the second thing that I want to add also is You got to like really figure out what you're great at as well. What are you really good at? I mean, this passion is one thing. And then you also need to figure out, okay, what are you you strong at? What skills do you have that are really awesome? I encourage people to work on things that they're good at, right? Don't get yourself into a situation where your strengths can't be leveraged because then you're setting yourself up to fail.
3: I think people really struggle with that because I think it's so hard not to want to be good at what you see might be popular or trendy or what your neighbor is good at. And so I think there's so much truth in what you say. Often the truest statements are the hardest to accomplish, right? Absolutely resonates with what you're saying. And I think people put their blinders on and lose their way so often. We've talked to people over and over who have stepped off that path and then sort of had that light bulb moment and gotten back on. When they kind of shed what the expectations are and they really center themselves, sounds very Zen-like practice, but it is a little bit. You kind of have to listen very carefully to what it is that fires you up because it's often incredibly niche or not even recognized or heard of yet. And you have to figure that out, figure out its relationship to the the value the business needs and go with it.
2: Yeah. And I think as managers too, I think we all have an awesome opportunity to help our employees figure out what they're good at and actually go the extra mile of putting them in situations where their strengths can be leveraged, right? It's not just the individual responsibility, but even the manager should also be thinking about, hey, what is this person great at? And let me put them in a situation where their strengths can be leveraged because that's when they're gonna hit a home run. And if they hit a home run, then my team is hitting a home run, you know? So I think it's both at an individual level, but also as a manager, you should always be thinking about, hey, what is this person great at? And every single person in this whole world has things that they're great at and are things that all of us are not good at, right? And so, getting people into the right roles where the strengths can be leveraged is probably one of the biggest things that you can do to be an effective manager as well.
3: Nice. I like it. So, I have a favorite question. We do tend to go so positive, and I love how you've even framed the question. So, it's a strength you have or a strength you don't have yet. But let's take it to the negative space. Srinivas, if you had one bit of advice for something that you've done in your life that you wish you had to do ever, that you would never ever do again, What would you counsel someone to do or not do?
2: I think in my case, it's just believing in yourself. I think I've always, uh, you know, as a reflect on my career, I think instances where I felt very confident about what I was doing and just believed in myself, I always ended up doing better than when I doubted myself. This notion of believing in yourself and going with your gut is something that I wish I did more often.
3: No, I like that. Again, I do really think trusting your gut is the hardest thing in the world. We tell it to shut up all the time. Do you find that you end up back at that place where your instincts told you to go and then you try to avoid it and then you get back there anyway?
2: Yeah, it's a constant struggle. I mean, I don't think I've solved that problem. I mean, there there's certain times, you know, when I've, you know, doubted myself about things or like being apprehensive about things. And then three, four months, you know, six months later, whenever I look back, I was like, what was I thinking? Why, why didn't I just do it? Or in some cases when I've actually said, you know what, I'm just going to go with my gut. Six months later, I would look back and say, you know what, I'm glad I did that because it actually worked out, you know. But it, it's always a struggle. It, it happens. I mean, I think that it, it's, it's a little bit of a healthy tension as well for you to think that way. It happens all the time.
1: I think it's a life goal to kind of find the right amount of balance of, of trust and thought.
3: We're like the devil and angel there. I'm all golden gut, and Matt's all metrics-based. We (laughs) shall ever (laughs) whisper on the shoulders of people.
0: Awesome. Well, hey, Srinivas, this has been a great conversation. I have now thought more deeply about performance evaluations and shared my personal approach to it, which I... (laughs) I I feel really good. I've gotten that off my chest. Uh, Zugada is the name of the company. And if people want to get a hold of you online, Twitter, et cetera, where it's the best way to get a hold of you?
2: Yeah, Twitter is good. I'm skrishna09 on Twitter. And also, Zugada has a free version of the product, too. If people want to try out, you know, just sign up on our website and start using the product. I would recommend that as well. And uh, if you guys want to email me, I'm sk at zugada.com. I check my emails at odd times of the night as well. So
0: <laughs> you got to put that thing down sometime, too. That's my evaluation of your performance. It's been another great episode of the Geek Whispers. Thanks very much, Srinivas, and we're out.
1: You've been listening to the Geek Whispers podcast. Tune in on iTunes or Stitcher for regular stories of technology careers, cultures, and lives. Share it with a friend or invite us to an event through our website, geek-whispers.com. Find us on Twitter at geek underscore whispers or at jtroyer.com. MJ Brender, and comms ninja. Thanks for listening and see you next time.
0: Jeez. <laughs> Bollywood. <went laughs> yeah, that wasn't in the pre-briefing. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. Um, if you're, if you're, if you're uh, ever inspired to break into song, feel free.
2: But you don't. Have uh, it. It'll never happen. <laughs>
3: <laughs> A man must know his
2: limitations.
0: <laughs> That's good.